Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning, and today is an exciting day. It's been an incredible time of worship, and today you're like, man, why are you wearing a t-shirt today? This is our baptism t-shirt, and so today, we, after service, we're going to be baptizing 10 individuals today. Can we give the Lord some praise for that one? Man, I'm so excited. Uh, 10 folks are going to declare publicly that they've passed from death into life and acknowledge that they believe and they will follow the rest of their days. King Jesus. So I'm excited about that. We're excited you're here this morning. We've been going through the book of Galatians, and as we started this journey through Galatians in chapter 1, we saw that the apostle Paul, this, this guy called by God, begins to address the churches in the area of Galatia. And he begins by talking about something that's essential to their faith. He talks about the singular one true gospel. Now, why would he do that? Because there's other people that had rose up. There's other people, they were called the Judaizers. These were people that were Jewish by birth. They claimed to follow Jesus, but they believed it was Jesus plus keeping the law like circumcision. That's what saved you. And so Paul comes into the church of Galatia and says, listen, that is not the gospel what they're teaching. There is one gospel, and here it is. Jesus died for our sins to rescue us. Period, exclamation point, end of the paragraph. Amen, church? He lays it out. And then he goes on and begins to talk about the greatest enemy to the gospel, which is religion. It's that mindset that I have to perform to be accepted. It's that mindset that maybe if my good outweighs the bad, an eternal God will look with favor on me. And he says, listen, the, the greatest enemy to the gospel is the idea of religion, that I've got to perform to be right with God. I've got to perform to be saved. And Paul says it has nothing to do with your performance. It's about faith in Jesus. And then Paul goes on and he begins to talk about the unity that we have in Christ. He basically tells the church of Galatia, what unites us is not our lineage. What unites us is not living in the same neighborhoods. What unites us is that we all come under the banner of the gospel. We all come under the banner that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what unites us. Now just take a moment and look around the room here. Just take a moment and scan the room. I know you want to look at me the whole time, but look around the room for a moment. Take a moment. Just scan in the room. And some of you are not looking. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. What do you see? Do all of us look alike? Thank the Lord, right? And we don't all look alike. Man, there's different ethnicities. There's different backgrounds. There's different heritages. But do you know what unifies us all? It's the gospel of Jesus. What brings us together, our common denominator is that we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul establishes that with the church of Galatia. And then he begins to talk about something we addressed last week. He begins to dive a little bit deeper, and he begins to talk about this idea of justification by faith. The idea that the only way we can be in right standing with God is through faith in Jesus. Now, why would he talk about that? Because these Judaizers were teaching, not only do you have to work to be saved, you also have to perform in order to be in right standing with God. And Paul says, no, we are not justified by our works, we are justified by our faith. We're not in right standing with God because we perform really good, we're in right standing because of faith in Jesus. And so today we're going to see Paul do something really interesting. Paul's going to continue to defend this doctrine of justification by faith in the book of Galatians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, just open there with me. Galatians chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 1. You can stay seated today because we're going to break it all up a little bit. Chapter 3, verse 1, Paul begins to address this issue of nothing but grace. And look what he says in verse 1. 
Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. I love how Paul starts this. He starts with, oh, foolish Galatians. Do you kind of get a sense that Paul's frustrated with the church in Galatia? You kind of get a sense that, I mean, when he calls somebody a fool, I'm going to make the assumption he's a little bit upset with him. Would you make the same assumption? Now, we have a phrase much like this phrase. We don't say, oh, foolish Galatians, or oh, foolish Cyperlachians. We don't, we don't say stuff like that. We've got a different phrase, and you've probably heard it. It's this phrase, God bless their heart, right? You know what I'm talking about? Just bless their heart. So if somebody comes to you and go, hey, you know what? I was driving down the road, and I was going kind of probably a little too fast, and I was trying to make the light, and I knew I could make the light, and it was yellow, which means hurry up and go faster. That's for John Nemeth. And we were going to go fast, and, and I go through, and the car in front of me stops, and man, I plowed them, and, and I don't know what they were thinking. I was trying to get the light, and you look at them and go, bless your heart. Now, what are you saying when you say bless your heart? You're dumber than a stump, but I'm going to say it in a way that's so kind, bless, bless, bless your heart. So if someone ever tells you, bless your heart, you now know what they think of you. They think you're dumber than a stump. That's what Paul is saying to the churches of Galatia. Oh, bless their heart. You foolish Galatians. You had the truth right in front of you, and you missed it. And he says something interesting. He says, who has bewitched you? In other words, who has you under a curse? Who has got you in such a hypnotic state, spiritually and mentally and emotionally, that you're incapable of making a sound decision? Church, who has bewitched you? And so when Paul begins the journey of the book of Galatians, he begins by addressing the wrong thinking on the gospel, and now he begins to defend and address the wrong thinking on justification. What makes us right with God? Is it works? There's the law, and he said, Galatians, Church of Galatians, you guys have missed this. You have been bewitched. In other words, you have been deceived in believing a lie. And Paul is going to defend this doctrine of justification by pointing to four different things. Four different things he's going to point to that reminds them that we are right standing with God. We are justified through faith. The first thing he points to is their own personal experience. Look at me in verse 2 through 5. He says this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing by faith? Are you so foolish, have been gone by the Spirit and are now perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul says, listen, here's how I'm going to help you understand that we are justified, we are right with God, not through works but through faith. Let's look at your own personal experience. He starts with two questions. Here's the first one. How did you receive the Spirit of God? Did you receive the Spirit of God by performing and works and those kinds of things? Or did you receive the Spirit of God by putting your faith in Jesus? Now, we know that that answer is an obvious answer, and it's what? Which one is it? Only one person got it right. Let's try that again. What is the answer, faith or works? It's faith. Now, Paul understood that they would have known that. They would have responded the same way. The way we know that the way we are saved is through faith in Jesus. And Paul says, but here's what's so foolish about you. Here's what I don't understand. You know that you did not receive the Holy Spirit because of your works, your performance. You received the Holy Spirit in your life, and he lives inside of you because you put your faith in Jesus. So then, when you decide to say, I'm saved by faith, 
but I have a right standing because I perform really well. You're going backwards. You're doing this thing all wrong. You're saying I'm saved by faith, but I'm in right standing because I work. And Paul says, when you buy into that lie, when you buy into that deception, that means the life of suffering you had for the gospel was in vain. Did you hear that, church? That means when you and I choose to say, yes, I'm saved by faith, but what keeps me right with God is my performance, we are going backwards. He's like, why in the world would you embrace this doctrine of grace, this doctrine that says I'm saved by faith, and then go back and say, well, the only way for me to be right with God is by performing. And when you go back, what you're saying is, all the persecution, all the suffering I've had for the gospel, it was in vain. It was vanity. Now, why would he say that? It's because when we decide to embrace the works of the law as a means to be right with God, our lives are not about pointing people to Jesus. Our lives are about pointing people to us and our works. And therefore, our efforts are in vain. Now, if you're the church of Galatia, do you feel a strong rebuke as you're reading this letter from Paul? Sure you are. He's like, oh, foolish Galatians, bless your heart. And they all got it. I don't understand, guys. You had the truth in front of you, and you missed it. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Was it the law, or was it faith? It was faith. Then why are you backtracking? Then why, with everything in you, are you trying to go back and embrace the works of the law as a means to be right with God? If it didn't save you, it won't make you right with God. And then he asks a second question. In verse 5, go back to verse 5. He says this. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and the works miracles among you do so by works of law or by hearing with faith? In other words, did you experience the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Did you see the power of the Holy Spirit work around you by works of the law or by faith? By faith. So Paul is literally telling these churches of Galatia, listen, let your life experience give you clarity. Because come on, come on, come on. Listen, church, you know this. We receive the Holy Spirit not by works, but by faith. We are empowered to do the work of the Holy Spirit who's in us, not by works, but by faith. So stop going back. Start, stop looking at this book as a law that we have to obey in order to be saved or to be right with God, because that is a false gospel. So what does Paul do first? He points them to their experience. The second thing he does, because listen, every step that Paul takes here is a little bit more offensive to the church. It's a little bit more offensive to these Judaizers. So he starts with personal experience, and then he points to a second thing. He points to the Old Testament. Now, if you were a Jew in the day, did you know the Old Testament well? Yes. And the Old Testament was sacred to them. <clears throat> kind of like when you were on the playground as a kid, and somebody was telling mama jokes, right? Nobody talks about your mama, right? All the boys, right? Yeah, some of you aren't sure, but they don't talk about your mama, right? If they talk about your mama, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Don't say turn the other cheek. You're not going to turn the other cheek. What are you going to do? You're going to throw punch them, right? I mean, because nobody talks about your mama. This is that moment. This is that moment. He's going to talk about the Old Testament. In particular, he's going to talk about Abraham, one of the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham and Moses were the two guys that the Jewish people would look back to. And so now Paul is going to use <coughs> Abraham to point to him as an example. Look at verse 6. This is powerful and offensive. Just as Abraham believed God, 
and it was counted to him as righteousness. What gave Abraham, Tom, throw me my water right there if you would. What gave, yeah, the other one, I don't want yours. Thank you, though. Appreciate it. Uh, what gave Abraham right standing with God? Was it his works? Come on, church, was it his works? Oh, I know what it was. It was that moment that he was tending out to his animals, and God said, hey, listen, Abraham, his name was Abram time, I want you to pick up and move, and I'm going to tell you what, uh, don't ask me where you're going, I'll just let you know when you get there. Maybe that's why God had right standing with Abraham, right? No, that wasn't it. Oh, I know what it was. Maybe it was the moment that God said, hey, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, the one that I've been promising to you for over 25 years, and I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice your only legitimate son and heir who's going to be the lineage that will take us to my son. Yeah, that was the moment, right? That's the moment that God said, you're in right standing. No. Oh, I know what it was. Maybe it was the moment that Abraham went to save Lot's tail, and as he leaves and he takes all the loot, he stops and gives 10% of the tithe to Melchizedek. That must be where God says, now you're in right standing with me. Is any of those reasons give Abraham right standing with God? No. What does Paul say? Look what he says here. He says, Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him is righteous. What gave Abraham right standing with God? Faith. Faith. You think the Jews were upset at that comment? They were. But he was right. It was faith that gave them right standing. Look at me in verse 7. <coughs> Look what he says here. Know then that is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. In other words, he's saying, what connects us to Abraham? Listen, what really connects us to Abraham is not our lineage. What connects us to Abraham is faith. Now, if you're a Jew of the day and you're one of these Judaizers, you are so offended by what he just said because you're like, no, 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 no. We have a heritage. We have a lineage that takes us back to Abraham, and we are closer to Abraham than anybody else. There's no Gentile that could anywhere be as close or as connected to Abraham as we are because we've got a heritage. We've got a family tree that goes all the way back. And Paul says, no, what connects us to Abraham is not your heritage, not your lineage. It is your faith in the same God Abraham put his faith in. That's what connects us. And in fact, you can be a Gentile and be closer to your connection to Abraham than a Jew who has no faith. Now, once again, if you're a Jew, are you upset by this? Yes. Look what he says on. He keeps going. Paul never seems to stop with the daggers. Look at me in verse 8. He says this, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to who? Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. Paul says, listen, here's the deal. How was Abraham in right standing with God? It was faith. Those who are faith have a greater connection to Abraham than anybody else. And oh, by the way, the covenant that God made with Abraham wasn't a covenant of law. It was a covenant of faith. In fact, guess who was the man who heard the first gospel message? The first man who heard that there's a seed that was going to come, that was going to be his offspring, that was going to come and bring salvation to the world. Guess who the first person who heard the whole picture of the gospel was? It was Abraham. It was Abraham. So now if I'm a Jew, I'm ready to fight, right? Because now I'm like, you have disrupted everything I know about the Old Testament. Everything I believed about performing and works-based ideas, you have disrupted all of it. Because what you've told me is Abraham's right standing came by faith. That Abraham's covenant with God was one of faith, not law. That Abraham heard the first gospel message. And in fact, look what he says in verse 9. Look what Paul says. 
I love this. He says, so then, those, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of what? He just kind of took the knife and twisted a little bit, didn't he? He says, listen, those of us are of faith. Those of us that have our faith in Jesus, we are more connected to Abraham than anybody else. Why? Because he too was a man of faith. Now, what is Paul getting at? Paul is trying to establish, listen, churches of Galatia, the way we're right standing with God is the same way we got saved. It's through faith. Look at your personal experience. You know you didn't receive the Holy Spirit by works. It was faith. Look at Abraham. What gave him right standing? It wasn't his works. It was what? Faith. But then Paul does one more thing. He points to one more, two more things. The, thir- the third thing he points to is that he points to the impossibility of their position. The impossibility of their position. Look with me in verse 10. Look what Paul says. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Here's what Paul says. All who rely on the law to be in right standing with God. In other words, all of you that buy into this notion that I have to perform, I've got to work in order to be right with God, you are under a curse. That word curse in the Greek language means to be condemned to death. That's what it means. So when he says, if you want to rely on the law, okay, if, you, if you're that person that says, I want to rely on the law to get me right with God, here's what you need to know. You are under a curse. You will be condemned to death. Now, why would Paul say that to them? Because he wanted them to know that if you want to use the law as the means to be right with God, listen, everybody look at me, you have to keep the law perfectly. Anybody done that? Anybody? Any takers? Tyler Peck, where are you? Anybody? Nobody, right? Nobody. There's none of us that would look at the law that God has laid out or look at the principles and precepts of God, and there's no one of us in this room that's sane, that's in this room, would go, I've kept all of them. In fact, even the very guy who came to Jesus said, I've kept all the commandments, Jesus challenged him on it. Why? Because he knew he didn't keep them all. So if we're going to buy into this notion that we're going to let the law kind of lead us into a right staying with God, that means we have to keep it 100% and we have to keep it perfectly. Here's what Paul's saying. You are incapable of it. Many of you have broke the heart of God and have sinned on your way to church this morning. Amen? (laughs) Some of you are like, I'm not saying that. Because we'll counsel later about that one, right? I mean, we know that, right? Especially if you got kids under the age of 13. Sometimes getting to church is difficult. And so we know that none of us can keep the law perfectly. We are incapable. And because we are incapable, if we try to use the law to make us right with God, we're under a curse, right? We are cursed. We will stand condemned. And then Paul says something fascinating in verse 11. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by what? Faith. The righteous shall live by faith. He said, listen, guys, if you're going to rely on the law to give you right standing, you're never going to get there. 
because you can't keep it perfectly. And if you try to do that, you will stand condemned. And one day you will spend an eternity apart from Christ if you go down this trail. But the truth of the matter is, the reality is, those who have put their faith in Jesus will live their life in faith. Those who put their faith in Jesus for salvation, those who put their faith in Jesus to receive the Holy Spirit, those who put their faith in Jesus to be in right standing with God, those people will live their life by faith. That's why Paul said what he said in Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life I live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. He said, listen, the righteous shall live by faith. How do we become right with God? By faith. How do we live a life that's honoring to God? By faith. And then Paul kind of puts this stamp on it here in verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. In other words, the law isn't based on faith. It's based on obedience. Now, when everybody look at me, because I want there to be any misunderstandings. We don't obey the Lord to be right with the Lord. We don't obey the Lord to earn his favor. We obey the Lord because we already are right with the Lord. We obey the Lord because we've already experienced his love. I don't obey to be saved. I don't obey to be right. I obey because I am saved. I obey because I am right with God. The law can't do that for you. The law can show us what holiness looks like, how to live a life honoring and pleasing to him, but the law will never get us to the place that makes us right with God. That only happens through faith. So Paul points to the possibility of the situation, and then he points to one more thing. Now, before I get into it, I want you to hear this. Paul is laying out, here's what it means to be in right standing with God. It's through faith, not works. If you don't believe me, let's look at your story. If you don't believe me, let's look at the Old Testament. We see it all the way through. If you don't believe me, let's look at your situation. You stand, if you're going to use the law as a means to be right with God, you stand condemned. God knew that we couldn't keep it. That's why he sent his son. The way we have salvation, the way we can be right with God is not through our performance. It's through faith. But then Paul points to one more thing. And this should have been the proverbial nail in the coffin. But look what he says here. The last thing he points to is he points to Jesus. Look with me in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus became the curse for us. Paul says the curse of the law was punishment. The punishment because we can't keep the law perfectly. But listen to this. Jesus became the curse for us. What does that mean? That means that Jesus took the punishment for our sins. He stood in our place. Listen to me, church. Jesus took the full wrath of God on for you and I. Is there any gratitude in your heart when you hear that? That I stand today. If I didn't have Jesus, I would stand condemned. But Jesus came and lived a sinless, perfect life, and he went to a cross and died on a tree, taking my curse, taking my sin, taking my shame, and he died for me and gave his life for me. He took on the full wrath of God so that by faith I can know him. By faith I can have the Holy Spirit. By faith I can be in right standing with my Heavenly Father. Folks, that is called grace. 
Do any of us deserve what Jesus has done for us? Come on, church, do you deserve what he's done for you? No. We are not entitled to anything but to be condemned. But what he did for us is grace. He did it, and we didn't deserve it. And then Paul tells us a little bit more why he did it. Look at me in verse 14. So that, he did this, so that in Christ, Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, and so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He said, listen, here's why he did it. You ready? Here's the reason Jesus did this. So that we, through faith, would receive the Holy Spirit. So that when Jesus is gone, we have the presence of Christ in us, with us, who dwells in us, and that's the Holy Spirit. One reason Jesus took our place is so that we put our faith in him, that we could experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. The second reason, he said, is so that Gentiles might be able to experience that same faith. I don't know. We're going to take a quick poll here. Anybody go see the Jesus Revolution movie? Let me see your hands. Okay, Miss Sylvia saw it. I, the older I get, the more sentimental I get, the more emotional I get. And I kind of hate that about me, but it's just true. I mean, I can watch a Hallmark movie and kind of get a little lump in my throat and can't quite talk in the moment. You know what I'm talking about? Any guys like that? You should be. Anyway, so I mean, that's kind of that's how I am sometimes. But you know what really got me in the movie? The moment that just kind of just froze for me is that moment the guy, um, um, Lonnie, was sitting at the table and he said, hey, my people, your church is closed to my people. In other words, you have decided as the pastor and as a church who appears to be unredeemable and you don't let them in. You think churches are like that today? Man, let it not be so of us. Because I don't know about you. I don't care if they're homosexual. I don't care if they belong to a different cult group. I don't care what their status is. In the eyes of God, if they put their faith in Jesus, they can be redeemed. And this is a place they can hear the good news of Jesus and know about the love of Christ. If you believe that, say amen, church. I'm telling you. I heard a pastor say this many years ago, if we're going to reach people nobody's reaching, we got to do things that nobody's doing. And can I tell you one thing nobody's doing? Nobody's waving the banner going, we are a church for everyone. Yes, we're going to preach the truth of the gospel. Yes, we're not going to water it down. Yes, we're going to talk about repentance a whole lot. But at the end of the day, this is a place you can know, experience, and feel the love of God in your life. We don't want to be a church that views anybody as unredeemable because one day we were that person, weren't we? One day we were that person that was unlovable, unredeemable, but Jesus changed us. Can he change anybody else? Yes. So why did Jesus come and take on our curse so that people that were not Jews, those who are viewed as unredeemable, those Gentiles, that they can know Jesus too? Now, why does this matter to us today? As we look at this passage, why in the world does all this matter to us? First of all, here's why it matters. Because some of us have bought the same body the Galatians have. We believe that if we obey, if we perform, if we keep the law, we will be right with God. Listen, if you're going to go that route, you've got to keep it 100%. And you can't do it. I can't do it. On our best day, in our best clothes, with our best smile, and our best heart, we can't do it. We will sin and we will fall. We are saved by grace through faith. We have the Spirit of God by faith. We are in right standing by faith. And we need to know that. And as we think about this morning, my prayer for all of us is that we would let what the truth of what we heard, the truth about what Jesus has done for us, that he took on in our place, that he took our curse. I pray that would move your heart this morning, that it would move your heart to realize that Jesus took the penalty for your sin and that Jesus has given us the gift 
of his son. I mean, Jesus given the gift of his spirit that lives inside of us. That when we think about Jesus taking on our curse and becoming a curse for us, that would stir us spiritually. Say, Lord, thank you for taking my sin. Lord, thank you in your absence you sent your Holy Spirit to be in me, to indwell in me, to guide me and direct me. So here's what I want us to do this morning. Maybe for those of you here today that have never trusted Christ, would you do it today? Listen, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what sin you struggle with. I don't care how much sin you struggle with. You are not unredeemable. God loves you. And Jesus died on the cross for you as much as he did anyone else in this room. And all it takes is you by faith saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I know that I'm a sinner and ask you to forgive me my sins and be the boss and the master of my life. And if you will do that, he will change you today. Not tomorrow, today. And he won't change all of you at one time. It'll be a process, but you can know this. You can walk out these doors today and you can get into your car and know that I know that if I die today, I'm going to heaven when I die. He can change your eternity right now in this moment. And if you've never done that, would you do that today? And then for those of us that are believers, for those of us that love and know and trust Jesus, because everybody look at me for a moment. Let's stop. Let's just stop trying to go back and perform to earn favor with God. Let's stop thinking that to be right with God, I've got to perform. Listen, stop doubting your stance with God. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, are you going to sin? Come on, are you going to sin? Are you going to struggle with sin? Yes, but in your sin and in your struggle with sin, there is grace there. Well, listen, here's what I want you to know. Those of us that are followers of Jesus, we've got to stop doubting our stance with God. You are accepted, you are loved, and you are in right standing with God. Even in the middle of your sin, you are still in right standing. You might be, you'll be disciplined by the Holy Spirit. You'll be convicted by the Holy Spirit. But your position with the Lord never, ever, ever changes. So stop doubting it. And instead, let's go live passionately. Let's go out there and let's live by faith. Let's go to those that the world deems as unredeemable. And let's go after those people. People that don't look like us, dress like us, act like us, have the income we have. Let's go after people. Listen, we're surrounded by thousands of people. And how many that are surrounding us in these neighborhoods, in our workplaces, don't know Christ and are going to split hell wide open if somebody doesn't go to them? Let it be us. Lest you and I go, okay, I'm going to stop doubting my stance with God. I know I'm in right standing. Yes, I struggle. Yes, I'm an idiot sometimes. Yes, the Holy Spirit's going to convict me. But I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live by faith and go make a difference in this world. That's what Paul was trying to get the church of Galatia to do. And I pray that that's what we'll want to do too. Let's all stand together. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this passage, Lord. God, I guess what wrecks me the most is that idea of why Jesus became the curse for us. We know he became the curse so that by faith we could receive not only salvation, but his Holy Spirit in us. But Lord, you also became the curse for us so that people like the Gentiles, that they could have the gospel too. God, we've all got people, maybe in our workplace, maybe in our schools, maybe on our streets and our subdivisions, that we just kind of turn the nose up and go, they're unredeemable. God, would you break us of that today? Your love can redeem the greatest of sinners. It changed me. It changed Paul. 
changed Peter. It changed people in this room. God, may we start living like people are not unredeemable. They are just sheep without a shepherd. And the good news is we know the shepherd. We know that King Jesus is the shepherd. And what they're looking for is him. So God, I pray you would light a fire. A lot of fire under our laziness, a lot of fire in our apathy, a lot of fire even under our passion, Lord. May we stop doubting our stance with you. May we know that our stance comes by faith and faith alone. And because of that, let's go live by faith. Let's go ask people, talk to people, and have dialogue with people who aren't like us, who don't look like us, dress like us, act like us. And let's make sure they know that there's a shepherd who loves them. There's a shepherd who sees them. There's a shepherd who wants to redeem them. So God, would you just wreck us this morning? Would you overwhelm us with your grace? Remind us of your love? But God, as we leave here today, would we just have a little pep in our step? May we have a little, like a little spiritual Red Bull this morning, Lord, as we walk out going, I'm ready. I'm ready to go after some people. I'm ready to share the gospel. I'm ready to be salt and light in a broken and a hurting world. God, may we never be the kind of church that puts people at the door and go, you don't belong here. God, this is a place where everybody belongs, a place where your gospel will be proclaimed, a place where lives are being changed. So God, would you stir something in us today? And as you lead us, may we be faithful to respond to it. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, I don't know about you, I'm a little fired up. I'm a little fired up because I, as I look at the Apostle Paul, I see his plea to these churches that have the good news and are not living it out by faith. They're buying into a lie. And I don't want us to do that. I don't want us to buy the lie of works salvation. Our works equals right standing. No, no, no. It's all by faith. And once we solidify that, man, let's go live. Let's go make a difference. So maybe this morning you feel convicted like I do. Maybe you just want to come and get alone with the Lord at these steps. We're going to call an altar and say, Lord, I'm in. God, I'm like Isaiah. Here am I. Send me, Lord. But if you've never trusted him before, would you do that today? And maybe you can let us know by taking that little blue handout piece at the bottom, that response card going, today I gave my life to Christ. Today I acknowledge that Jesus is my Savior, asked him to forgive me my sins, and I said yes to him today. I would love to celebrate that with you. But however the Lord is leading you this morning, let's just be faithful. Let's respond as his spirit moves in us as we continue to worship.